The John Hancock Center is one of the most distinctive buildings in Chicago. This tower is hard to miss with its unique X-covered sides, glass and steel facade, and 500-foot tall broadcast antennas, not to mention its status as a skyscraper. When it was built, it was the tallest building in Chicago, and it was prominent, standing proudly near Lake Michigan in the middle of a shopping district modeled after a Parisian avenue. Back then, the tallest buildings around were no taller than a mid-size at best. Now, the skyscraper is one among many, yet remains an important part of Chicago's cultural heritage, overcoming many changes throughout the years from its status as the tallest building in Chicago to its ownership and even name. Today we discover Chicago's John Hancock Center. I'm your host Ryan Sokash and you're watching It's History. The project that created the John Hancock Center was initiated and developed by Jerry Woolman, a man born in 1927 Pennsylvania and embodied the classic rags to riches success story. He worked at his father's grocery store throughout high school until his father collapsed from a stroke. And around this time, Woolman would drop out of school and spend several years in the merchant marines before becoming an unsuccessful paint salesman. He eventually moved to Washington, D.C. and began a construction company in the 1950s called Jerry Woolman Associates. From there, Woolman started the development of the John Hancock Center as its owner in 1964. At its conception, the project was meant to be the second tallest building in the world behind the Empire State Building. The John Hancock Mutual Life Insurance Company financed the project. The building was to be named after the company as a part of the conditions for their involvement. They hired the architectural firm Skidmore Owings & Merrill as the tower's designer, then there was Bruce Graham as lead architect and Fosler Khan as the structural engineer. This team is the same team that eventually built one of the other most famous skyscrapers in Chicago, the Sears Tower, now known as Willis Tower. The official plans for the John Hancock Center were announced in 1965, and the plans were astonishing. The building was to be a 100-story tall skyscraper, serving as a mixed-use residential and commercial building. The original concept by Woolman was a 50-story office tower, a 70-story residential complex, and an 800,000 square feet accompanying retail and parking space. To accommodate Woolman's intentions, the final plan by Gran and Khan was all these components stacked on top of each other into one tower with roughly equal square footage. But more importantly, this new tower would come to represent a posh area of Chicago, the Magnificent Mile. The center's site was set near the shore of Lake Michigan on North Michigan Avenue at the residential address of 175 East Delaware Place. The location is within the stretch of North Michigan Avenue now known as the Magnificent Mile. The Magnificent Mile is a famous shopping center which is popular with tourists and a cultural hub of Chicago. The area was built during the urban renaissance in Chicago following the Great Fire in 1871. There was a big focus on urban construction after the fire in an attempt not only to repair the damages but to keep the city thriving, which was an effort made possible with the implementation of the Chicago Plan in 1909. The Chicago plan was meant to build up Michigan Avenue and make it into a commercial hotspot. 
The developers wanted to create an avenue similar to Champs-Élysées in Paris. As such, they ultimately added 125 acres worth of landfill on the Lake Michigan shoreline to stabilize it and prevent floods from occurring as they expanded the avenue. The Magnificent Mile Association was founded in 1912 to beautify and develop Michigan Avenue. Under their purview, the Michigan Avenue Bridge, now called the DeSable Bridge, opened in 1920. There was a building boom in the district as a result. As a part of the boom, the Wrigley Building, another well-known Chicago landmark, was constructed to draw business from over the bridge. The Tribune Tower was also commissioned and built during this time as a tribute to Chicago's achievements and innovations. Unfortunately, this district's expansion suddenly stopped thanks to the Great Stock Market Crash of 1929, otherwise known as the Great Depression. The area stayed stagnant for almost 20 years until the leader of the Magnificent Mile Association, Archer Rubloff, launched a plan in 1947 to revitalize the district. During his promotion of this plan, Rubloff coined the phrase, the Magnificent Mile, giving this stretch of land the name we know it by today. Thanks to these revitalization efforts, the Magnificent Mile was transformed into a shopping and culture center and has since become globally known as a tourist destination. But the challenges in making it all happen would be massive. Construction of the John Hancock Center began in the Magnificent Mile in 1965, the same year the plans were announced. And as I mentioned earlier, initially the John Hancock Center was supposed to have two separate towers. The building was dubbed a center precisely to be an area of multiple buildings. However, there were insurmountable problems when buying the land just east to the existing structure. You see, to build the second towers, the developers needed to buy the land at 195 East Delaware Place, which belonged to a business called the Casino Club. The Casino Club was unwilling to part with their land, despite the fact that the developers consistently wrote to the club president, Doris Winterheim, but she never even bothered to respond. The development was forced to go ahead with just one tower. In addition to the land problems, there were several initial critiques and concerns over the tower's height in response to the plans being made public. A few proud citizens complained that the John Hancock Center's planned height was too short, that if the Hancock Center was meant to be tall, they said it should be taller than the Empire State Building. A much larger group had concerns coming from the opposite direction, that the proposed skyscraper was too tall, with residents expressing worry that the tower's difference in height from the neighboring structures would ruin the neighborhood's aesthetics. The Magnificent Mile was meant to resemble the elegant, low-rising buildings of Paris, not the skyscraper cities of America that we've all come to now love. But even so, they might have had a point. Think about it, a thousand foot tall skyscraper compared with elegant, low level architecture, it would stick out like a sore thumb. There were also concerns that the tower's height would compromise its stability because it would be so close to Lake Michigan. There was also the simple fact that people didn't like the idea of a beacon blinding them from above. The John Hancock Center's construction began with drilling to sink caissons. Now, for those of you who don't know, caisson sinking is an engineering method used to build a foundation for bridges or large buildings in unstable or shifty soil, such as the sandy soil by Lake Michigan that had concerned some of the locals. 
The engineers drill down and lower the caissons. Then they lay concrete to grow the foundations for the caisson bases. The John Hancock Center's developers drilled 120 feet until they reached bedrock and anchored the caissons. The tower had 20 stories built by 1967 when a major flaw was discovered in one of the caisson foundations. The workers tracking the caisson's soil settlement realized that the settlement they saw at 20 stories was what they were supposed to only see when all the stories had been built. Construction was halted while the caissons were tested and fine-tuned, and the problem eventually was resolved. The resulting delay lasted five and a half months. It caused severe financial repercussions for Woolman as the owner of the project. In fact, things got so bad that he was forced into bankruptcy and the project was handed over to the management of the John Hancock Mutual Life Insurance Company, who elected to keep the same staff on board after the transition of ownership. The John Hancock Center was topped out in 1968 and completed in 1969. The building's total cost had been $95 million. The tower is 1,100 feet tall and has another 400 feet of height added by the broadcast antennas. 46,000 tons of steel were used in the construction, which in the end is primarily a glass and steel design. The John Hancock Center narrows towards the top to increase stability, and this also creates a visual illusion that the skyscraper is taller than it actually is. It's able to maintain its height due to a tubular building model. And most would probably agree that it's this tubular building model that's at the core of what makes the John Hancock Center look so unique because it's so simple and so sturdy. Looking at the tower from the outside, it's easy to notice the X's going up the sides. These X braces are what gives the tower its stability. You see, by having four solid corner pillars marking the joints of the building and then running the X braces up the sides as the skeleton, the entire structure is sturdy and effectively braced against anything. The design was unique to the John Hancock Center and entirely pioneered by the structural engineer and architect in charge. And this design, it's the reason that the tower can maintain its height. Because all the support is built into the exterior, it also removes the need for interior support columns, allowing the interior to have a completely open floor plan. The John Hancock Center is also very stable in wind, suffering no more than 8 inches of sway, even under winds stronger than 60 miles per hour. So now that we've got the history covered, let's take a look at what's inside the tower. The inside of the John Hancock Center is a mix of residential and commercial spaces. The 6th through 12th floors are a parking garage accessed through a spiral ramp. The one floor below ground level is a commercial and service floor. Then you have the first 41 floors above ground level serving as office spaces. The designers intentionally placed the commercial and business parts at the bottom of the building so traffic and pedestrian noise wouldn't bother the residential areas. The 44th through 45th floors have a sky lobby to switch between local and express elevators. The sky lobby also marks the transition from the commercial part of the tower to the residential part. The 44th floor also houses two essential amenities. There's the Potash Market, which is a grocery store for the use by residents, and there's also an indoor swimming pool with double floor ceilings. 
This is an extremely unique amenity as it is one of the highest indoor swimming pools in the world. After the sky lobby, there are residential spaces up to the 93rd floor. The residential spaces were apartments when the first tenants moved into the building in 1969. In 1973, however, the apartments were all converted into condo units. Floor 93 and above is something of an eclectic mix. Several spaces are there to be rented out by television companies, allowing them close access to the antennas. Those antennas used to be painted red and white for better visibility at night. Still, the paint job needed regular maintenance, which was inconvenient and very expensive. Hence, the antennas were paint-free and equipped with red strobe lights instead. The American Tower Corporation bought out the broadcast antennas for $70 million in 2012. The top two floors of the John Hancock Center and the four other floors further down the building contain the tower's mechanical workings that keep the utilities up and running. The 95th floor has an upscale restaurant called the Signature Room with an attached lounge on the floor above called the Signature Lounge. Below, on the 94th floor, is the John Hancock Center's most famous attraction and one of the biggest draws for tourists, a glass-windowed observatory going all the way around the building. This observatory, called 360 Chicago, has a website for booking tickets and tours and offers some of the best views of the entire city. And finally, in order to make all of these various amenities and utilities accessible, the center has a total of 42 elevators. Outside the tower is a two-level outdoor plaza. This plaza's top level aligns with street level, while the lower floor, or sunken level, is below ground. And this is the place where most visitors enter the building. The plaza was supposedly modeled after Rockefeller Center. Originally rectangular, the outdoor plaza contained several retail and dining businesses. It also featured a fountain pool, converted into an ice rink when the weather was colder. In 1988, the John Hancock Mutual Life Interest Company proposed replacing the outdoor plaza with a $20 million glass and marble three-story atrium. They claimed this decision was because the atrium would have been much easier and more convenient for ground access for pedestrians. They also stated that the plaza was too dull and humble when compared to the illustrious nature of the tower to which it was attached. And hence, this atrium would be fancy and grand enough to match the reputation of the famous Chicago landmark. In response to this announcement was an immediate and severe backlash from the residents of Chicago, who denounced the move as an unnecessary attempt to fix a problem that didn't exist. Then, after the proposal received public criticism from Chicago Mayor Richard Daley, as well, the atrium plans were abandoned altogether. Instead, the owners renovated the plaza in 1994. The area below the street level changed from a rectangular shape to a rounder elliptical one. Also, the tower is no longer called the John Hancock Center. I refer to that out of nostalgia. The ownership started changing hands between different companies in 2006 until the building was ultimately bought by the Hearn Company in 2013. John Hancock Mutual Life Insurance stopped paying for the naming rights to the building that same year. John Hancock Insurance officially requested that all instances of their name and logo be removed from the building in 2018. The official name is now the same as the commercial street address, 875 North Michigan Avenue. 
875 North Michigan Avenue has been the site of many newsworthy events, starting with the 1988 horror film Poltergeist 3, which was set and filmed in the tower. Several years before that, on Veterans Day in 1981, 875 North Michigan Avenue was chosen for a very public display by one Dan Goodwin. Goodwin was an advocate for the cause of high-rise firefighting and rescue and wanted to call attention to how impossible it would be to rescue anyone caught on the upper floors of a skyscraper during a disaster. So he put on a wetsuit and a climbing device and successfully scaled the outside of the tower. The Chicago Fire Department's reaction was to go to extreme lengths, trying to knock him off. And this went on until the mayor grew concerned that the attempts to stop Goodwin could actually kill him by accident. In 1997, comedian Chris Farley, who lived on the 60th floor, was found dead in his apartment. Another tragic event occurred in 2002, when a scaffolding on the building was torn loose from high winds. Part of the scaffolding fell 40 stories and hit three cars, killing two passengers. The part of the scaffolding that didn't fall smashed repeatedly against the tower, shattering over 60 windows and scattering broken glass and debris. The casualties from this incident were three deaths and eight injuries. Another incident happened in November of 2018, and this one sounds rather dramatic. You see, six visitors to the Signature Room restaurant on the 95th floor boarded the elevator to leave. Well, they were on board, one of the cables snapped, and the elevator dropped 84 stories, landing on the 11th floor. Because access to the express elevators is limited, the firefighters sent to rescue the trapped passengers went to the corresponding floor in the parking garage and busted through the brick wall. Naturally, the elevators to the 95th and 96th floors were closed for investigation. Although initial reports on the incident claimed a terrifying plunge for the passengers, that wasn't the case. Though the cable snapped, the elevator's safety mechanism worked perfectly. The elevator didn't plummet, but instead it lowered down gradually. So to be clear, at no point was the elevator unsafe or out of control. So this story is perhaps a good example of how rumors spread. In reality, the building has had a bright and celebrated past. 875 North Michigan Avenue has stood for many years as one of the Chicago skyline's most distinctive and influential parts. It was recognized as a member of the World Federation of Great Towers, whose name speaks for itself. It also has won several architectural awards over the years, such as in 1999, when 875 North Michigan Avenue won the Distinguished Architects 25-Year Award from the American Institute of Architects. It has a place on several lists in Illinois' most prominent must-see locations. The tower also significantly impacted the landscape around it. As I trust you recall from earlier in this story, when the building first went up, Concerns arose because the skyscraper was much taller than the surrounding buildings, which were all low to mid-rise at the highest. But after the skyscraper was built, there was a boom in skyscraper construction in the area, and the visuals of urban Chicago changed utterly. When it opened in 1969, the John Hancock Center was the tallest building in Chicago. But by 1972, just three years later, that was no longer true. Chicago 
just like New York is now a city known for its towering skyscrapers, and the John Hancock Center is an essential part of that story. When it comes to the Magnificent Mile, John Hancock is hard to miss. The appearance is distinctive and was an architectural innovation when it was first built. The plan was invented just for that tower. To this day, it's a force in Chicago's culture and commerce. Even if it's no longer number one, it's still one of the tallest skyscrapers in the city. So next time you're in Chicago, make sure you check out the unparalleled views of the John Hancock building, which in my opinion are even better than those offered by the famous Sears Tower, a building you can learn about right now by clicking here to watch our episode. And please consider subscribing. Until next time, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.